0: Go on, then. What are we watching? Oh,
1: what about, uh... End the, uh, with Skystream. The new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman, all in one place. for just 25 euro a month for 12 months. Search Skystream today. New customers only. 12-month minimum term requires broadband. Further terms apply.
2: Are you feeling lucky this St. Patrick's Day? Easy Living Furniture has a pot of gold waiting for you. With absolutely everything reduced across sofa, dining, bedroom, mattress and accessories. Get the three-seater dark grey Harper sofa for only $459. Donut 240 centimetre dining table for only $289 and much more. Don't miss out on these lucky savings at Easy Living Furniture. Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie. You're listening to the best of the Indo Daily.
1: Whether that's my hand or whether that's um, the position, I, I. But I don't. I have simply no recollection of a photograph ever being taken.
0: Today on the Indo Daily, inside the infamous Prince Andrew TV interview.
1: And it would be, to some extent, a stretch to say that, as it were, we were close friends. I mean, we were friends because of other people. I suppose I saw him once or twice a year, perhaps maybe maximum of three times a year.
0: In November 2019, Prince Andrew sat down with BBC Newsnight for a bombshell interview that would forever ruin his reputation.
1: Going to Pizza Express in Woking is an unusual thing for me to do. A very unusual thing for me to do.
2: The room on the day of the interview was extraordinary. Cables, cameras, chatter, nervousness in the centre... Just those two chairs, now so famous, just waiting for them to arrive. It was the most terrifying and thrilling experience of my professional life.
0: While presenter Emily Maitlis took centre stage, the woman behind the scenes who made it all happen was producer Sam McAllister.
2: And the only two things he had to do was show remorse and regret his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. And I sat there, minute after minute, 10 minutes, 20, 30, 40, 50. Is he ever going to say sorry? And he never, ever did.
0: I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I talk to Sam McAllister, author of Scoops, behind the scenes of BBC's most shocking interviews. And so set the scene for me, Sam, of that Prince Andrew interview. The story around Jeffrey Epstein, it has been going on for years, but at what point in the story were we at when Emily Maitlis sat down in the room with Prince Andrew? Jeffrey Epstein was an accused sex trafficker and abuser of children. He was connected to some of the richest and most influential people in the world. For the first time, details about what happened when FBI agents showed up to arrest Ghislaine Maxwell.
2: Ghislaine brought me in. I brought other girls in, those girls brought other girls in, and no matter what, Jeffrey constantly had that open, revolving door of young women, children, I like to call them, coming through his door for one purpose and one purpose alone.
0: Prosecutors say she tried to flee to another room in the house. Agents were ultimately forced to breach the door. Tonight, he is dead by an apparent suicide.
2: Well, at the stage at which we sat down, we were very far down the story because Epstein was dead. Ghislaine Maxwell had been arrested, and Virginia Roberts had brought her cases and was starting to really ramp up the litigation that she was taking part in, and rightly so, to get justice for what had happened to her. But at the stage at which I started the negotiation, it was a completely different scene because it was a year prior when Epstein, to be honest, was not really a big issue in the news. Maxwell was still at large and Virginia Roberts was working on her case, but hadn't really brought it to the fore. So the two worlds could not have been more different from when I started and when I ended.
0: Well, take us back then to the very beginning of how all this came about, because it wasn't a case that you went looking for Prince Andrew as such. He came to you, or people on his behalf originally came to you.
2: Well, we've never had an interview as a program on Newsnight with a member of the royal family ever. In What happens in the industry is that they tend to move towards certain programs that are seen as either friendly or they have a tradition with. And we were not one of those. We were unfriendly and there was no tradition. So we hadn't really ventured ever to get into that world. And then I received a random email from a PR, probably used to get about 100 a day, and in it was offered what we call a puff piece, which in our industry means like a free advert, basically, for somebody, usually an actress or somebody writing a book at home, no comment. On this occasion, it was from PRs working with Prince Andrew in his capacity as somebody at the forefront of assisting entrepreneurs. And they offered a puff piece, an interview with him in order to further comments he wanted to make about that particular thing. And so I had to turn it down because we don't do that. So I finished the email and a producer does this and you never think you'll get an email back. So you always say, well thank you so much for thinking of us. If Prince Andrew is ready for a wider conversation incorporating all of our news and editorial values, do get back to me. Of course, never thinking they would. But lo and behold, some months later in April, I heard back from them and they offered a meeting. Was Amanda Thirsk, his chief of staff, now infamous. And off I was invited to Buckingham Palace. And so off I went.
0: And that first meeting, who's at that?
2: So it was the two PRs, who, um, lovely, uh, two lovely women who actually had messaged me to congratulate me. Can you believe it? That's extremely generous of them. And it was basically just me and Amanda in that room. Uh, we'd not met before. I'd done my research, as all good negotiations do. And I knew quite a lot about her as far as I was able to ascertain. And I took myself into that room to meet her face-to-face, teeny, tiny room in Buckingham Palace, surrounded by pictures of Prince Andrew and his family. And we were, I'd say, two feet from one another maximum. And we spent a couple of hours negotiating, meeting, Establishing a professional relationship uh, for the first ever time. And that was obviously quite a, an extraordinary experience in itself, let alone thinking that an interview might occur.
0: At this stage, you hadn't told many of your colleagues back in the BBC that you were going down this road at all. Why was that?
2: Well, I hadn't even told my uh, editor at the time. And she used to tease me about it afterwards, as May Rand, who's now Channel 4. The reason being because most of my work is basically a road to nowhere. You have to have a very thick skin. It's like going on a thousand first dates and never getting a second date. So most of the work I do, what I learned in my career was to basically under-promise and over-deliver. So my tactic was that usually I didn't mention that I was working on something, particularly something that was high value like this, until I had any conceivable chance of doing it because most of the time everything slipped through my fingers. And I didn't want to say, oh, we might have an interview with Prince Andrew. And then it turned out to be nothing. So I wanted to wait until I'd met her and worked out whether or not this was possible, conceivable, viable and an option that we would want to do.
0: Why do you think at that particular point that the royals or the people around Prince Andrew were thinking about doing an interview?
2: I think he was in uh, a slightly invidious position at that stage. And obviously later he was in the most invidious position a member of the royal family has ever found themselves in. But at that stage, I would imagine it was probably reputation management that they were thinking of. He was, you know, sort of the second in command, you know, second always, Queen's favorite son, doing his entrepreneurial work. And perhaps he was looking to remind people that he was out there. Um, And often you get approaches of that kind. And I think he wanted to talk about the awards and highlight some of the work of the young entrepreneurs the motivation, obviously, at that stage wasn't really Epstein-related, except one crucial element, because we would have asked a question about it, I'm sure, but it wasn't top of the agenda at all. He wasn't even arrested. So we get to the end of the negotiation, and Amanda puts a red line down. And the red line is, we don't want you to ask about Epstein. And at that stage, my heart sunk. And I was right not to tell my boss and get her excited because we got to that point and I knew that they would never accept the interview on that basis. So I went back to the office. Uh, My boss knows by now that I'm up to something. We talk about it. We talk about it with Emily and we decline. And that declining was the most important thing in this story, I think.
0: So that's strike two effectively. You've now been there twice and twice you've said no. But the next time... You go back again, you knock at the door a third time and you get a meeting with Prince Andrew.
2: Well, there was a little one in between that I won't bore you with, but basically Emily and I got invited back in October. I spent all those months, that fine line between being a pain in the bum, to be frank, and doing your job properly, trying to get back in front of them, trying to get back. And every time the story develops, Epstein, Epstein dead, Maxwell arrested, Virginia Roberts in the news. Every time I go back in the vain hope that they'll have us back, so we first go, I first go alone in May. She invites me back in October. And that time I took Emily with me. We have another two-hour meeting, myself, Emily, Amanda, just the three of us. Things go pretty well, but we still don't know if there's an interview. We go away. And then two weeks later, we're invited back for a face-to-face with Prince Andrew, my deputy editor at the time, Stuart McLean, who's now the exec on the project, comes along too. It's his first time there. And Emily. And we're there. To have a five-person, as far as we're concerned, interview a negotiation face-to-face with Prince Andrew in Buckingham Palace.
0: But it wasn't just five of you, was it? Because Prince Andrew brought somebody along with him.
2: He did. Now, this is really a curveball. Now, as you can tell, I'm a seasoned negotiator. I used to be a criminal defence barrister. You can put me in a cell with a triple murderer. It's very, very difficult to unnerve me. However, Prince Andrew succeeded because he came around the corner and his first words to us, uh, were, oh, hello, you know, very polite, lovely to meet you. um I hope you don't mind, I've brought someone with me. I have to be honest, I was expecting a lawyer or someone who was going to close this down. So my heart sank. And then around the corner, his daughter, Princess Beatrice. Now that is a curveball of curveballs because I've gained my negotiation. I don't know what was in Emily's head or Stuart's head, but I've gained it to convince Andrew, and now we have to do the same very delicate conversation, tricky, difficult, in front of his young daughter, and that's a completely different proposition.
0: well, do you think this is this is a question? Do you think that it was just circumstance that Princess Beatrice happened to be that there day there that day and went along, or was this part of a strategy or mind games perhaps that it would be much harder for you to push him around some of the Epstein stuff and some of the allegations that were already floating? if his daughter was sitting there beside him.
2: Yeah, I, I personally don't think it was a tactic at all. And perhaps other people will think that's naive. I think she was seeing him anyway. It was a negotiation. It wasn't at the interview itself. She was not there, that's been misreported. Um, she was only in this particular section. And I think basically he probably you know, was seeing her and said to her, oh, by the way, I'm meeting Emily Maitlis and the Newsnight people. And she was like, well, oh my gosh, that doesn't sound like the best idea you've ever had dad and wanted to come along, as any daughter would do, obviously in these quite exceptional circumstances, but come along to you know, have his best interests at heart, which she clearly did when she was in that room.
0: Bring me into the room on the day of the interview, then.
2: The room on the day of the interview was extraordinary. We had a real chasm on the team because there were a very small number of us who knew about this. In the day of the internet, it's a very different proposition as a negotiator. Had that leaked, that we had that interview, the trust that I'd spent months and months and months building, and that Emily and Stuart also built latterly, that was all over. So we would kept it in a very tight circle. So when members of the team were arriving on the day, believe it or not, they'd signed NDAs, and they weren't allowed to know who they were speaking to at that juncture, So as you arrive in the palace with various members of the team, the reaction of, for example, the photographer or the makeup woman or the sound engineer when they find out what we're doing was really quite something. And the detritus of television filled that massive room, cables, cameras, bags, chatter, nervousness, lights, you name it. You know what it looks like. It's an absolute cacophony and there's just rubbish everywhere. In the centre just those two chairs now so famous that were to have emily and andrew sitting there and that tiny little table between them with some water on it which if you zoom in you can see it has the royal insignia on it minute detail but one i one i found interesting and that was the room just waiting for them to arrive the tension was palpable as was mine own it was the most terrifying and thrilling experience of my professional life
1: i have a Peculiar medical condition which is that I don't sweat um, or I didn't sweat at the time and that was oh actually yes I didn't sweat at the time because I um, ha- had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands war when I was shot at uh, and I simply it, it was it was it was almost impossible for me to, to, to sweat and it's only because I have done a number of things in, in the recent past that I'm starting to be able to do that again. So I'm afraid to say that, that 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 there's a medical condition that says that I didn't do it, so therefore...
0: Is it possible that you met Virginia Roberts, dined with her, danced with her in Tramp, had sex with her
1: on another date? No.
0: And what about then, as Andrew starts to reveal things like the claims about sweating, the going for pizza, all these extraordinary things which have now become infamous... Was your jaw hitting the floor as he said this on camera? Because it's a very different thing to talk to someone about what their view of the world is and then you put the camera on them and they give you a much more, I suppose, steady version of that. But he didn't. He went and put it all out there.
2: Well, that's what was so exceptional about this is you've just rightly identified what usually happens in these scenarios is we usually have a briefing call. In this case, it was a face-to-face negotiation and the guest spills their gut right 10 out of 10 everything's fantastic you tell your presenter this and then lo and behold they show up and they clam up they usually deliver maybe a two out of 10 and then you look like an idiot well this was the first time in producer history and Emily had been at that negotiation too you know that did not happen because he'd revealed those details to us face to face and I have to be honest with you I didn't for one second think by the time three days later that we did the interview he would still be saying that on camera. And when he did, my jaw figuratively hit the floor.
0: What was the most shocking moment of that interview for you, standing there in the room?
1: Am I right in thinking you threw a birthday party um, for Epstein's girlfriend, Ghislaine
0: Maxwell, at Sandringham?
1: No, it was a shooting weekend.
0: A shooting weekend? Just a
1: straightforward, straightforward shooting weekend.
0: Why? Why were you staying with a convicted sex offender? Right,
1: because this was um, serious um, and uh, I felt that doing it over the telephone was the chicken's way of doing it. I had to go and see him and talk to him. Oh, in 2010, that, there wasn't certainly wasn't a, a, a party to celebrate his release in December because it was a small dinner party, there were only eight or ten of us, I think, at the the dinner.
2: You were staying at the house of a convicted sex offender.
1: It was a convenient place to stay.
2: I was sitting about 15 feet behind him, and I have to say I was trying not to make eye contact with anybody because that's fatal. Trying not to cough, also fatal as a producer. I think the most shocking part of it for me was I was holding my breath for the apology. All this interview really is is a chance to apologise on a global scale, and the only two things he had to do was show remorse, that was sincere, apologise and regret his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. And I sat there minute after minute, 10 minutes, 20, 30, 40, 50. Is he ever going to say sorry? And he never, ever did. And
0: so when that happens, Sam, and I've been in this scenario where you interview somebody, it's recorded they say something that you just know in your head, that's the headline. They don't realise they've done it. You chat afterwards and they have to, they go off about their day and you're left going right, straight to the lawyers with this one. What was the mood afterwards? Did did he feel that this is it? I've done it. I've closed this chapter.
2: Well, that was so so interesting is the disparity between the journalists and also my ex-lawyer brain, which was going, oh my God, you are a prosecutor's dream with all the detail you put in there, particularly things that are easy to disprove if lies, um, like sweating and Peter Express woking. And as I lifted my eyes and I looked at the room, there was a real disparity again, because the confidence on Prince Andrew's face, the smile on his face, in comparison to Emily, myself, everyone on the team, looking white, really, with the shock of the content of it all. And that was the massive difference. We knew how badly it had gone and he seemed oblivious.
0: Why have you decided to write this book? I've seen some reports that people in the BBC are furious because you are lifting the curtain, I suppose, on what happens behind the scenes. I've come in here and sat down and talked to you today, but there's a whole team of people who make that happen and and organise that. And is it that the producer is sometimes forgotten in all of this?
2: I mean, I think when you put your head above the parapet, people are always going to be furious about it. And I work very hard in my book um, to give credit to as many people as possible. But ultimately, this is a, a story that's told from my perspective. It's my tiny part in this tale. People have been talking about this interview for almost three years. And my part in starting the process that brought this interview to the screen was unknown. And I think in this era of fake news and honesty and trust about how the media works, it's actually a really useful thing for the public to, if they want to, um, learn more about the back of the process. I mean, Julian Assange, Jamie Schumer, Stephen Seagal, you know, I've got lots of stories in there that reveal in a, I hope, interesting way about how these magical moments that sometimes are only minutes on your screen that you may always, always remember start somewhere else, often with a producer. And in that sense, it's on behalf of producers everywhere. So if I put a couple of noses out of joint, I'm not going to apologise because I think it's a really good thing that we have these conversations. Credit is big enough to share. We don't have to have it all on one or two people.
0: There is going to be a film from the book. In Is it going to be in the kind of Frost-Nixon type of space? Is that the idea?
2: I think that's absolutely the idea. What The the interesting thing about this interview is obviously Emily is a ferocious and brilliant interrogator, but she was very calm, as you saw. That was our tactic, not to provoke, but to let him reveal his information because we knew the gist of what he was going to say. So it wasn't combative. Um, And I think, you know, this film will really lift the lid, if you like, on the jigsaw puzzle behind the interview that you've already seen from 15 feet behind his chair. And the other people in that room. And if you like, I knew, you. you know, I'm the person on the street who watched it. I'm a normal person who happened to be a producer in an extraordinary situation. And I hope that, you know, side by side in this film, people will enjoy learning much more about the process, about the tensions, the drama, the fallouts, whatever else is going on there. But in an important and profound way, because this interview changed the country, and that should not be forgotten. It's
0: been reported, Sam, in the UK press that as part of that in the reporting around the idea of a film that a photographer who was there that day has a photograph of Andrew that would shock and embarrass the royal family. Is that true?
2: Well, I don't know whether it's true or not, because um, obviously he said that personally. He put himself on record. I understand that there is some legal difficulty or issues about who owns that photo. So I'm not going to put my foot in it and talk about it. But I can say that, you know... Tell us what's
0: in it.
2: (laughs) He was was there. I didn't speak to him on the day, although his photograph is actually one of them, not a contentious one, I hasten to add. The cover of my book, The Empty Chairs, um, come from Mark Harrison, the photographer in question. But, you know, I think it's really a matter for him or the BBC to reveal whatever this photo is that, you know, he believes is so contentious and and we can draw our own conclusions.
0: And finally, as somebody who... I know Newsnight had no engagement with the royals before this, but it has certainly changed <laughs> the course of, of history for Prince Andrew. Is there any road back to for him in the public eye or even for his roles within the royal family? Is it over for him?
2: He was the decorated second son who lived his life at the heart of the royal family. He's now the disgraced son, publicly cast from the family in shame, paying fortunes to avoid further humiliation in an American court. 21 years after this photograph of Prince Andrew and Virginia Dufresne was taken, he's agreed a private settlement with the woman who says he sexually assaulted her three times as a girl, something he always denied. I really believe it is. I mean, you know, the very important part of this story is that in a small way this interview assisted in some of the extraordinarily important outcomes. So Virginia Roberts, um, in terms of Maxwell being arrested, I mean, so much has happened that really does put Andrew right in the middle of this terrible, sad, sorry tale. And I just don't think the public uh, are going to be interested in having him rehabilitated given the vast amount of money that was, was paid to settle this matter out of court and everything that's happened in that interview and since. I'm afraid I think it's it's over for Andrew.
0: Sam McAllister, that's the definition of a scoop. Thank you very much.
2: My pleasure. Lovely to speak to you.
0: I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Garrett Mulhall and sound by John Smith. Archive clips were from BBC Newsnight, CNN, NBC, ITV, Sky News and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.